I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Common Core and vouchers lose ground. Charter schools and testing retain support. Those are some of the headline findings from the 2016 Education Next poll, released on August 23rd and available now at educationnext.org. I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss the results of this year's poll is Paul Peterson, the journal's senior editor and lead author of an article detailing the poll's findings. Paul, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Well, thanks for inviting me to uh, participate in the podcast, Marty. So let's start with the Common Core State Standards. We know that Common Core has become a bit of a hot potato among political candidates and elected officials. A leaked Democratic National Committee email identified it as a political third rail and directed the platform committee to get rid of it. And the GOP platform congratulated the handful of states that have repealed the Common Core. So do we see the same reaction among the broader uh, public? Well, I guess you would say that uh, the Democratic National Committee was had their own poll, and they must have seen the same thing we're seeing, that uh, Common Core support, uh, which we've seen falling in the past. You know, it began falling in 2013, and uh, it's just continued at a steady pace downward. And it does so basically for, especially for Republicans, but also for Democrats. And uh, it's stabilized for teachers this year between 2015 and 16. So. If you wanted to be hopeful, you could say maybe the teachers are beginning to accept this and maybe that'll uh, bring everybody else on board. But that's that's the only optimistic uh, news in the results this year for the Common Core people. But you might think from the DNC email that the country as a whole was unified in opposition to the Common Core. And that's not quite what we see. We see that support has been falling, but I think we find that 50 percent of those who um, take a position on the issue still support the use of Common Core in their state. So that's you know down eight percentage points over last year and down dramatically from when we started asking about this issue back in 2013. But it's still an even split. Well, that's true, but you know you shouldn't interpret the marginals as much as you should be interpreting the trends because you can get those marginal percentages to move up and down by the way you asked the question. And so I think, you know, the most informative news we have here is that the trend line is down, that there's uh, very significant partisan differences, and that teachers are holding their own. And then there's one other thing that I think is really important, and that is that if you drop the Common Core label from the question and you ask exactly the same question, uh, you know, do you believe that, uh, do you support national standards or do you believe these standards uh, should be used in your state uh, and you don't call them common core standards? Well, then uh, the support level is, is considerably higher. I mean, instead of being at 50 percent, it's at 70 percent. And, and so I think that's the, the other really good news out there is that people do think we should have common standards. They just don't want them called common core standards. So the brand needs some work uh, rather than the concept itself. It looks like the concept is there. Of course, you know, that's what the political opposition always does is they take the actual 
name of the product and then they attack that name. And so by ta attacking the name, you undermine support for the broader idea, but the public may be still supporting that broader idea just as they always had in the past. And the public also seems to still be broadly supportive of the use of tests to hold schools accountable for their performance. Yes, we ask that as a separate question, as you know, Marty. And uh, when we ask it, uh, do you think we should have tests uh, for students in grades three through eight and again in high school? So should we continue the federal requirement that that be the case, which is exactly what Congress chose to do last December? And, you know, Congress tends to do what is politically popular, and this is, in fact, what they did do. And that it is, it's two-thirds, and it hasn't changed. It's since I think it's 80 percent. 80 percent. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's 80 percent. Yeah. A very big number of all those taking a position on the issue. Now, we should qualify what we're saying here. We've thrown out the people who uh, take the neutral category. We always give people an out and they can say, I neither support nor oppose. And in the data that we're reporting this year, we're just putting those people to one side. On the on the uh, website, you can see it with the neutral category in there if you're interested in those kinds of details. But you got to remember that the numbers we're presenting this year uh, are, are just of those people who take one side or another on the issue. So we see continued support for this annual testing requirement that Congress chose to consider. We also don't see overwhelming support. In fact, we see opposition to the concept of allowing parents to opt their children out of required state tests. You know, that was something which was really a surprise to me a year ago. And I wondered if, you know, maybe it was just the, what happened in one year, but it came back almost exactly the same again this year that, uh, you know, by a wide majority, people think that everybody should be taking the tests and parents feel that way too. So 70% of the public uh, says, <laughs> doesn't have much sympathy for the opt-out movement. So, the, you know, the opt-out movement has faded uh, a bit over the course of the year, and I think the reason why is that there wasn't that much support out there among the parents. Well, we'll see. I think there's still a substantial number in some states who are uh, choosing not to have their children take state tests, and uh, I don't know that we have full information on that, but I think what we can say is that this doesn't seem to be something that's broadly appealing to the uh, public as a whole. You know, I think it's concentrated in a few states. I don't think it's a general phenomenon. And I think that a lot of the steam has been taken out of it by the backing away of, test, of tying the testing to the evaluation and the merit pay for teachers. Because I think the teachers' organizations were doing a lot of stimulation of the parent opt-out. I mean, yeah. We do know this, that in the Democratic platform, there is support for parent opt-out. Mm -hmm. So, they, uh, so the, the Democratic Platform Committee, who wrote that, that's what I want to know, uh, uh, supports the idea of parent opt-out, but the parents themselves don't. So let's turn to uh, the issue of school choice and of private school choice in particular. One of the most striking things that we report this year, to me at least, is that support for vouchers, whether they be uh, targeted to low-income families or offered more broadly to all families has really fallen quite markedly over the past several years uh, and really reached new lows in 2016. What do you think explains that? Uh, you know, I think there's uh, one possible explanation for this is the feeling that 
uh, vouchers are just another welfare program. We see the support falling very sharply among Republicans. I think with Republicans, there's always been a question as to how much the support for vouchers is really deeply rooted in the party faithful or whether it's just more sloganeering uh, by uh, party leaders who want to express a commitment to the principle of competition. Uh, because a lot of uh, Republicans live in suburban areas uh, where they already have choice, they don't really need vouchers, and a lot of Republicans live in rural areas where the public school is pretty popular. So it's an amazing finding, actually, that uh, and if we look back over the years, we always find Democrats much more supportive of vouchers than Republicans, and that's even more true than ever right now. Yeah, especially vouchers targeted at low-income families. We find Democrats are 12 percentage points more likely than Republicans to support that proposal. Uh, only 43 percent of the public overall does. They're not a uh, majority in favor of the policy, even among those taking a position. And you also have to notice that the change in opinion on vouchers for all hasn't been as great as it is for the low-income vouchers. So vouchers for everybody has a broader, um, you know, everybody, it's, it's, it's not just a welfare program. At that point, it's for everybody. And there you don't see, uh, you still see Democrats supporting it more than Republicans, but the differences are not quite as wide. And so you see the public evenly split on that program design. So 50% of those taking an opinion are in support. And you actually see higher levels of support for a very similar uh, policy, which are tuition tax credits offered to individuals or corporations who make donations to organizations that offer scholarships to low-income children. Economists tell us that this is, for all intents and purposes, a voucher proposal. Uh, some critics of these uh, um, proposals call them uh, neo-vouchers or pseudo-vouchers. Uh, the public does seem to see a difference, even if the economists don't uh, tell us there's one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's another uh, example of branding. And uh, if it's just like the Common Core issue, uh, if you don't mention Common Core, people support the idea. And if you think, as I do, that tax credits and vouchers are pretty much the same idea, but tax credits don't have, they haven't been attacked endlessly, continuously, and actually the word tax credit sounds pretty good. It's another one of those appealing kinds of uh, phrases that can attract attention and positive support. Uh, and yes, here you get 60 to 70 percent of the population, I think it's 65 is what it comes in this year, uh, supporting it, and there's not been that much attenuation in support over the last few years for tax credits. So yeah, tax credits are surviving when vouchers are failing. And charter schools are holding their own as well. We see the public continuing to support charter schools at a 65% uh, to 35% margin among those taking a position. And here we actually see Republicans being more supportive of the charter school concept than Democrats, 74% Republicans as compared to 58% among Democrats. And that's hard for me to understand because if you look at the, at the way the politics of it is, is that Republicans tend to support vouchers in state legislatures and Democrats tend to oppose it. On charters, you get more bipartisanship. There still is partisan conflict. Uh, but for the, in the 
public eye, and you know, there's a lot of disadvantaged students who are take are going to charter schools. There's a lot of African American and Hispanic students going to charter schools. Uh, even higher proportion of the population in the minority communities going to charter schools. You'd think the Democrats would be supporting charter schools among the public and among the elite, but no. Here you do have the Republicans supporting an alternative to the public school that's uh, pr pretty popular with everybody and especially popular with Republicans. And there have been some signs at the elite level of a fraying of support for the charter school concept uh, among Democrat, uh, Democratic Party leadership and sort of allied interest groups. The NAACP just recently issued a cautious statement uh, on charter schools and the DNC uh, platform uh, as well uh, basically talked about the need to regulate charter schools out of existence, it appeared to me. Well, the NAACP actually called for a moratorium at their national convention. A resolution was passed which called for a moratorium on the formation of any new charter schools. Uh, and uh, if you talk to African Americans in the electorate, uh, they're, they're, they're very supportive. They're much more supportive uh, I think it's two to one in favor of it. I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me here, but I think it's two to one support within the African community over opposition. So yeah, here's another case where elites and the public are not talking, they're not on the same wavelength. So at the end of the day, is the glass half full or half empty for school reformers when you look at the uh, views of the public in this 2016 election year? <laughs> Well, you know, I guess the, what we're learning is is that um, politics uh, can affect the people's uh, support for a specific uh, application of an idea, but ideas have a staying power that's beyond the politics of the moment. So I would say that the reform movement, I, I'd say the, the glass is half full. That's what I'd say. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of the Ednext podcast. Paul and I will be back next week to discuss other results from this year's poll, including those concerning teacher policies, the performance of teachers, uh, and uh, other issues as well. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast content. And while you're there, please take a moment to leave us a review. As I said, we'll be back next Wednesday to discuss more results from the 2016 Ednext poll. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.